Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah, anybody got allergies going on? <laughs> Sounds like it. Um, yeah, if I get the sniffles and cough and whatnot during the sermon, um, it's probably that as well. Uh, Memorial Day is always kind of an interesting weekend. My family growing up, we this was the one Sunday we were not at church, um, which was quite kind of a big deal for the wine coops because we were always at church. Um, and the church I grew up in, we were at church three times a week. Um, and on top of that, our church was 30 minutes away from our house. So that's like, what, three hours of driving to get to church three times. Um, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And my dad's an accountant, if you haven't heard. Um, and so for him to spend the gas money to get us clear across town three times a week, um, he must have thought that was important. Because this is the guy that went on a Gaither's cruise and he had calculated how much it cost him per minute on the cruise, and then he was miserable the rest of the cruise. So, and actually, you know, for him to calculate that stuff's not hard. For me, I just walk around in a clueless fog, um, usually with numbers, which is pretty exciting. Uh, ignorance is bliss, um, except in calculus class. So, we were gone on Memorial Day weekend. And we regularly went as a family up to Estes Park. We would go to Estes Park. We would go to the, to the YMCA, the Rockies, or we would go. Uh, we used to go to a little mom and pa owned uh, motel up there, and we would hang out and we'd fish and we'd go through Rocky Mountain National Park and we'd drive over Trail Ridge Road because that was typically the first weekend that Trail Ridge was open. And so dad wanted to be the first guy up there, at least one of them. And, and then we'd get out of the car and the winds were whipping. 100 miles an hour, and I didn't realize that there were places like that that you could live in, uh, like Ray, where the wind would whip 100 miles an hour um, pretty regular. But uh, we were up on there on the mountains, and, and you know, they would, they'd have the road cleared, and there'd be snow on each side way up high. And my dad always got a kick about looking at elk and, uh, and looking at all the wildlife and... Uh, just this past week or two weeks ago, Marnie and I got away. We went up to Breckenridge for a few days. And my folks gave me a call, which I wasn't surprised. And my mom's like, hey, we're almost to Frisco. Meet us for lunch. We'll pay. And me being Dutch was like, yeah, I'm on that. Um, so we went and had lunch with my parents and my dad in typical dad fashions. Like, how many wild animals did you guys see on your way up? <laughs> and I'm like, none. Uh, because I'm trying to keep my car on the road, Dad. And I've ridden with you. Um, and he said he had seen... By the way, my dad listens to my sermon, so I could get in trouble after this one. Um, maybe I won't post this one for a while. Bury this one. Um, my dad said, well, I saw some uh, bighorn sheep, and then I saw a bear, you know. And uh, I didn't see any of that stuff. So, But I believe him. Uh, that he saw all those things. He's always had a keen eye for, for wildlife. And being up in the mountains, in nature, away on a holiday weekend, it always seemed to just breathe life into our family after we 
um, argued about things um, like families do. And it was always a fun time to get away. And um, I, I even kept that tradition for a while. And then I started working for churches and it became harder to get away on holiday weekends. And uh, there's something about holidays that's always been fascinating to me. You know, you never know. Uh, you, you never know what's going to occur on a holiday weekend. For instance, working as a youth pastor, I didn't know if we'd have more kids or less kids at the youth group because sometimes you'd have kids that were, uh, you know, visiting. So like there was cousins of cousins, and they'd show up, and you had all these people in the youth group and all these kids, and you're like, are they all coming back next week? What's happening? And then other times you'd have like five kids there and you're like, this is crazy. What's going on? And so we started building traditions. Even in ministry, we try to build traditions around these things. And one of the traditions that I've kind of started and done throughout the years is to do a standalone sermon on Memorial Day to, to kind of to get away from uh, the series that we're in. So if you came expecting to hear about Mark chapter eight or so, uh, sorry to let you down, we're we're going to do kind of a standalone series sermon today. One of the things that I've always done too on Memorial Day is is to focus on this idea of remembrance, of remembering. Probably because I'm so bad at remembering. Are you? For instance, I have a friend. She'll remain unnamed, but her her, her initials are B P. And she does not work for BP. Um, but she sent me a calendar several months ago. My calendar. A better calendar than I keep for myself. I was amazed because I didn't even know half the things that were on there that I had to do in the next few months. And she had all these things lined out. And she had even stuff my kids are doing on my calendar. It was impressive. <clears throat> Now, I've forgotten the link to find the calendar (laughs) in my email. But thank God it's in Google email, so I can just search uh, calendar or something, and boom, it shows up, and I'm able to remind myself of what's going on. Because I struggle with remembering things. Now, I've always been good. Men, hear me well. I've always been good about remembering my wife's birthday and our anniversary, September 20th. So, just kidding. <laughs> September 19th, actually. Right? And uh, I've always been good about remembering those things. Valentine's Day, I remember on the 13th of February. And then that obligatory uh, romantic holiday, I run out and buy a card. Um, Mother's Day, I usually remember that one. There's a lot of days, though, that I can't remember how old I am. Do you have this experience? The older you get? No? Yes? I think the older you get, the less you remember how old you are because it's kind of depressing (laughs) to remember, you know? I forget all sorts of things that I stuffed into uh, my short-term memory, especially in school. (laughs) Sorry, teachers. Uh, I forgot tons of stuff that I put in my short-term memory in college. I forgot tons of stuff that I put into short-term memory, and I thought it was getting into long-term memory in seminary. We forget, don't we? 
The best is when your kids forget. Because then it's not your problem, it's their problem. But they try to make it your problem. You ever experience this? And they look at you and they're like, this happened this past week a couple times. And people forgot stuff and it's like, ah, and just, you know, house is going chaotic and everybody's trying to solve the problem. Because forgetting causes problems. Forgetting causes problems. And I think that's why so often in the Old and New Testaments, we are told to remember. Remember. And there was actually uh, things that the people of the Old Testament would do, and actually things of the folks in the New Testament, that they would do to help them remember things. So you sometimes come to these strange stories in the Old Testament where they would pick up rocks because they were into landscaping, like my wife is. No, I'm just kidding. They would pick up big stones, and they would set stones, oftentimes 12 big stones that the chief of each of the tribes of Israel would pick up, and they would set them down into a pile of stones. And the author of the the scripture would say something like, and that pile of stones is still there today. I've heard that phrase from folks in Ray a couple times. And this pile of stones would commemorate, would be something that, and then the author would go on and say, so that when you are walking by this pile of stones and your kid goes, hey, what's the pile of stones here for, dad? Mom? So that you could tell them what the Lord had done for you. There's a passage of scripture we're going to take a look at and um, I think we're going to look at more than I had on the screen, and I'm totally cool with that because um, one of the things I really want to encourage you to do is bring your Bibles. And one of the things that's good about bringing your Bible is then you get familiar with your Bible because um, uh, it's a handy thing to have. Um, and then you get a feeling of where things are and how to find it and where I talked about stuff and all these kind of things. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture, Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 is an interesting passage of scripture um, because Moses is, is, we're we're told actually in Deuteronomy 31, uh, just to give you some, some context as to what's going on in Deuteronomy 32. In Deuteronomy 31, we're told that Moses finished writing down all of the law of God. And so... Most scholars believe that it was Moses that wrote perhaps the first five books of the Old Testament, except for like the last few chapters of Deuteronomy that tell about his death, because that'd be kind of weird if he wrote those parts down. Um, And there's some debate as to who wrote it, but a lot of scholars have thought through the years, and church tradition has has taught through the years, that Moses wrote down the first five books of the Bible. And Deuteronomy 31 is kind of one of those places they go to make that argument, that Moses finished writing down all the words of the law. I just want to pick up a little bit in verse 24. After Moses finished writing in a book the words of this law from beginning to end, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And the Levites were just one of the tribes of Israel. They were the priestly tribe. They were commissioned. They were commanded by God to carry around the Ark of the Covenant and to do some other things. Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. 
There it will remain as a witness against you. That sounds like something that happens in court that's not necessarily good, right? A witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. Now, if you've read Numbers, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know these folks are a bit rebellious and stiff-necked. Because there's stories all the time about uh, these folks grumbling and complaining and mumbling and they're frustrated and they don't know what God is up to and they don't know what's going on. If you have been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive and with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? You ever felt that way, parents, with your kids? (laughs) They've been this rebellious at home before they moved out? Oh my gosh. What's going to happen when we're not around, right? That's kind of what Moses is saying. You guys have been rebellious while the cat's been home and the mice have still played. What are you going to do when the cat's dead? And he says, Assemble before me all the elders of your tribes and all your officials so that I can speak these words in their hearing and call the heavens and the earth to testify against them. For I know that after my death you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn away and to turn from the way I have commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall on you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and arouse his anger by what your hands have made. What is the problem here? What's the potential problem? The potential problem that Moses sees is these folks are going to forget. After Moses dies, he's worried. More than that, he's convinced that they're going to forget. That they're going to rebel. That they're going to break the law of God. That they're going to break his commands. That they're going to violate the covenant that God has set up with them. And so he calls the elders, the officials. He calls them together and says, look, I'm going to address you and here we go. And this is the song of Moses. He must have sang it. Or it's just poetry so they could remember it better. It's called the song of Moses. And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. And I think he kind of did this so that they could remember it better. Have you noticed how easy it is to remember songs? I mean, for you, not for me always, but I think for most of you, it's easy to remember songs. Did you notice I have always have my music in front of me? Because I can, can't remember words to songs to save my life. I think, though... That this is a song so they could remember. Moses says, listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew. Like showers on new grass. Like abundant rain on tender plants. Maybe you like poetry, maybe you don't. But one of the strengths of poetry is it's full of metaphors. Did you picture something when I read those words? Did pictures pop in your head? If not, are you sleeping? Rain, green, showers. There's a quality to these words that also aids in our memory of them when we're able to picture things. 
One of the things that we learned in seminary, at least we were supposed to learn, is that there's a big difference between telling stories as a pastor, as a preacher, as a presenter. Because people remember stories far better than they remember didactic teaching. You ever read the Apostle Paul? Like, there's parts of it, some chapters, and you're like, I got no clue. Nothing popped in my head when he was talking there. But then you'll go and you'll read a psalm, or, or, or you'll read a story about Jesus and the Gospels, and it's just your imagination kicks on, and you're starting to see, and you're starting to experience, and you're starting to feel. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't read Paul because he's hard. Even Peter, the apostle, said, some of the stuff that Paul writes is hard to understand. And that was kind of Peter, right? Peter was kind of, lots of things were hard for Peter to understand. I think that's why so many of us like Peter so much. Because he's so real. The Bible doesn't whitewash any of these guys. Sometimes there are things in Paul's writing that jump off the page at you, and it's typically when he paints a picture for you. Moses paints this picture in his, in his psalm, in his song. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. What did you picture just then? His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? (laughs) How to make friends and influence people by Moses. Is he not your father? Your creator who made you and formed you. And then watch what he does here. He's, he's, he's painted these pictures. He's tried to reason with them a little bit. Don't wander away from him because he's your father. He's your creator. He's your rock. And then he pleads with them. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations Long past. When you hear those words, what comes to your mind? Remember the days of old. It's fun to visit with grandparents. I can no longer visit with my grandparents, for they've all passed away and gone on to their heavenly reward. But it was fun to to chat with them, to remember the days of old. And my grandparents lived in a time of human history where the things they saw change. My goodness. I mean, they saw the proliferation of the automobile. (laughs) And from that, they saw the invention of the microchip, the creation of smartphones. My grandmother growing up, my grandpa growing up, Used an outhouse. That's what we use when we go camping. Not in the backyard. 
I mean, the amounts of changes they saw, and it would be so fun to hear the stories. I remember before my grandmother died, I wanted to learn more about how she became a a follower of Christ, and she was saved at a Billy Graham crusade in her 20s in L.A. And from then on, she faithfully sent Billy Graham about five or six bucks every few weeks. She wanted to participate in Billy Graham's work. My granddad, her husband, became a follower of Christ after Grandma did. And it was so fun to hear their recollection, their stories. It was, it was fun to sit and remember the days of old. Now, before we get all nostalgic here, I want you to realize there's a difference between remembering and nostalgia. Because the good old days weren't always good. I said this a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again, because the the theme at prom this year was the Roaring Twenties. And next year's prom, I'm going to push for this, because I'm a junior class parent again. I want it to be the depressed thirties. (laughs) Right? Because back then, nobody liked the thirties, right? 39 after the crash. I mean, it, would, it just was a bad thing, 29 after the crash. Nobody liked the 30s. You know, we could maybe blow some dust into the gymnasium. And, <laughs> decorations would be simple, you know. Wouldn't have to be any door prizes. Sorry, it's the dep- depressed 30s. You know, you're lucky to be alive. Just think of the stories you'll have to tell of this prom. And there's a difference between remember and nostalgia. And some of the things that God commands us to remember are things that we don't want to remember. Four times in the book of Deuteronomy, they are commanded to remember that they were slaves. Commanded to remember that they were slaves. And each of those, of those commands is always attached to the other command to keep a Sabbath. Now, why would you command somebody to remember that they're a slave and then move from that into commanding them to a Sabbath? I think the connection is slaves work seven days a week. Slaves have slave drivers who force them to work all the time. But God, your loving, caring father, creator, as Moses calls him here. And it's interesting because this is one of the few times in the Old Testament that he has called our father. Moses says your father. Creator. You see, you don't get nostalgic about being a slave. <laughs> remember the good old days? Remember when we had to look, man, how do you re- Now, sometimes we do get a little bit weird and we talk about, oh, man, it was horrible. We used to work 12 hours a day, you know. But we usually tell those stories of, man, be thankful, you punk kid, for how good you've got it, Right? But we don't usually sit around and we're not nostalgic about how hard life was at times. 
how difficult it is. We're thankful we're done and out of it. And God commands them to remember they were slaves so that they would keep a Sabbath. I've said it before. You've got to like a God who commands you to take a day off. More than that, he commanded the people to have festivals to take weeks off. Like if you didn't take that time off, you would be cut off from the people. What does that mean? It means you're out the group. It means you weren't an Israelite. You were acting like a pagan. You were cut off from what? If we keep reading Deuteronomy 32, we'll see what happened to you. Remember the days of old. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. Now this is the the generations long past that Moses has in mind. Listen to what he says and see if you can pick up maybe the allusion to what incidents he's talking about earlier in the Old Testament. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all the human race, He set up boundaries for all the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. And I think a better translation is the sons of God. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. What does it sound like he's talking about there? Okay. He's talking about the 12 tribes. It's the last part of it. The the earlier part. Is the, 12, is, is the Tower of Babel. He's talking about both. He's going clear back and hearkening back to Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis 12. That's a really long time ago. Even in the Bible, even biblical scholars, we call this primeval history. Because <laughs> all we have is these crazy, kooky, weird stories that feel like mythology and legend. And not just the Bible records these weird, kooky, crazy stories that feel like mythology and legend. Lots of other cultures have these weird, kooky, strange stories that read like mythology and legend. I mean, if you remember some of those stories, Noah and the flood. And there's, like, there's something like 150 or 200 other societies, other civilizations that have a flood story. The Tower of Babel. And that is what Moses is saying to remember. Now, why is he having the people remember this? Because this is their Genesis story. This is their start story. God says, you weren't one of those peoples that were given these inheritances at the Tower of Babel. Your story started in the next chapter, Genesis 12. What's he saying? This is the crux, in my view, of a lot of the Old Testament. He's saying, you are a chosen people. First Peter. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And the New Testament picks up this same language. 
And it talks about us being a chosen people, a royal priesthood set apart for holiness, set apart for God. We are not as the other nations. We are not like the pagans. We must remember this, lest we forget. The New Testament has some interesting language. First uh, Corinthians 6, Paul is talking about people coming to Christ. First Corinthians 6, he gives this ugly list of stuff people do and can do. and It's not a pretty list. But it's in your Bible. <laughs> First Corinthians six, I think uh, starting at verse nine. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. It's an ugly list, I told you. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. What's Paul doing there? He's reminding his audience what they used to be. He's causing them to remember. Now, those are things you don't want to remember if you were those things. Right? I've known in his list, he calls it drunkards. I've known alcoholics. And the ones who get better, (laughs) the ones who move on into sobriety are the ones who never forget that they struggle. They got to stay away. I have counseled people who have committed adultery and they remember that they could mess up again. (laughs) That it was easy. They thought it was something they would never do. They were critical of those who did. But those who move forward in a marriage that is faithful and true and strong and getting stronger. The ones who remember. Idolaters. I have yet to counsel anybody who has a little idol in their home that they pray to or uh, burn incense towards or anything like that. But. I have counseled lots of people who trust things besides God to save them. Trust things besides God to provide them standing or security or righteousness. Trust things besides God to help them through their problems, their issues, their challenges. I've been one of those people. I am one of those people. Sometimes. Thieves. Did you see that list? The other one. 
men who have sex with men. Obviously, this is a hot topic and issue in our culture. The scriptures are clear, though, that people who struggle with homosexuality, with being lesbian, can be saved from that. I'm not suggesting that those feelings are just done away with and taken care of, but they can be rescued from that behavior. That's what the scriptures teach. Past tense. Some of you were. Now why did they change? Why did the folks in this ugly list change? And why does Paul throw it in their face? (laughs) You ever have kids throw something in your face? One of your failures years ago? Mom, you can't tell me what to do because that one time, right? You ever been married to somebody who threw stuff in your face? This feels like that that kid or that spouse that throws stuff in your face. Paul, I'd really rather you not bring that up. I don't want to think about being a drunkard, being a thief, being a homosexual, being an adulterer, being an idolater. I don't want you to throw this on me again. Why does Paul bring this up? guess we need to keep reading. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, the scriptures teach that there is an accuser. There is an adversary. There is somebody who is working to thwart your life, working to thwart the work of God in this world, working against the kingdom of heaven. Peter calls him a lion on the prowl, looking for somebody to devour. And if you ever get messages in your brain, and if you're human, you do. If you ever get messages in your brain, and by the way, my wife is going to give me a hard time about saying this this afternoon because she's like, you don't always believe that. One of the things that pastors need to do is proclaim things that they struggle to believe themselves because these things are true. When there is an accuser in your ear, when there is a liar in your ear telling you, oh, you'll never amount to anything. It's not going to work out. You get what you deserve. The reason this is happening is because of X, Y, Z. When you get those accusations, when you get those lies, when your ears are filled with those things, you know what you should do? You should circle, highlight, underline 1 Corinthians 6, this passage. Because this is ammo. You're right. I was that. I was that. 
I was that. There's nothing wrong with admitting what you were. In fact, I would argue it's worse if you don't. If you continue to lie and play church, play life, play like you've got it together, play like you're getting along, play like it's okay, it's far worse. But when you get those lies, when you get that doubt, when you get that stuff feeding your ear, you say, yes, I was, but. Did you see the but? Buts are some of the best theological words in the New Testament. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you didn't catch that, that's an allusion to the Trinity. Jesus, Spirit, God. Who are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to the accuser? You're going to allow his reminding you of your past to destroy your future? Or are you going are you going to as Paul says elsewhere to take thoughts captive? Say yeah, I was. You got me. But I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified. Let this be your memorial day. That you would remember these things. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I'm at the front of the line today of needing to remember. It's so easy to focus on who I am and what I've done or focus on others and what they've done. And our focus should be on you and what you have done. May we focus on Christ. May we take the day off. May we not be a slave to our past. May we set the accuser aside, take the thoughts captive, Say, yes, I was, but now I'm not. May we walk in the reality and the truth of who we are in Christ. Would you remind us of that? Holy Spirit, in the midst of the fight, would you cut through with your sword of truth? Would you rescue us when we are sinking into the mire? Would you be our rock? Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You were, but now you're washed. Now you're sanctified. Now you're justified. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the Spirit of our God. Amen.